What is going on, everybody? Welcome to A Theology of Hustle. I'm your host, Curry Blanford, and today I am talking to Raj. So I met Raj through a good friend of mine, Dan, who has recently been on the podcast, episode 63, if you want to check that out. But uh, Raj has been following some of Dan, what Dan has going on at the Meaning Movement. And so uh, Dan just uh, reached out to me and said, hey, you should have this guy on your podcast. He would be amazing. And so, uh, you know, I do everything Dan tells me to. So I did. I had Raj on and this episode, y'all, is awesome. It's so much fun. So Raj now is the strategist and co-owner of a place called Fruitful Design, and you need to like go check them out. Uh, their website is just incredible. The work they do is amazing. It's all around brand, but they don't just do design. They do you know strategy and just getting your brand uh, where it needs to be. And I think anybody who has a brand knows that that's one of the more difficult parts of having a brand is is the strategy behind it and the the way that uh, your brand is used and. So they have amazing work. It's beautiful. It's fruitful.design if you want to check them out. So that's what Raj does now. But he has this crazy story sort of of getting to this place, one that involves uh, going to Bible college, one that involves years and years of vocational ministry, but um, in ways that maybe never quite clicked uh, in certain ways. And so uh, Raj has a great story, has some great insight just into um, the world of ministry and into calling. You know, he's somebody who felt or feels very called to ministry, but um, what that looks like for him does not look like full-time vocational ministry right now. And so um, it's, it's, it's an interesting way to sort of think about the way that God has called us to do certain things, what he's called us to do, how, all that stuff. So uh, I think you're going to get a lot of insight from Raj in this episode. And uh, it's uh, it's just a fascinating story. It's a fascinating episode. And he's just full of wisdom and I think really uh, just sees himself in, in a true light and sort of can look back on his story and, and critique not only others in his story, but also himself. And I think that that's like a really health, healthy place for us all to be in. He talks about his uh, journey into, you know, counseling and into receiving uh, some therapy. And yeah, I think it's just there's good stuff all around in this episode. You're going to really enjoy hearing about design and brand and even, uh, you know, uh, upcoming novels. So there's there's a lot in this one. Uh, you're going to love hearing from him. So uh, this is my weekly reminder. If you don't mind, uh, pop on to iTunes or whatever app you use and leave me a rating and review. It's super helpful just for getting the word out about the podcast. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Theology of Hustle and on Twitter at Curry Blanford. Uh, I would appreciate you doing all those just so you uh, stay up to date on what's going on. We have so many great episodes still to come. Uh, we are just uh, getting better every week here, people. It's awesome. So make sure you're following uh, along for the journey. And I hope you enjoy hearing from Raj. All right. Well, Raj, I thank you so much for coming on the podcast, man, and uh, hanging out with me a little bit. It's fun. Yeah. Thanks for having me. For sure. Well, let's uh, let's just start off and just have you introduce yourself to everybody. Yeah. Uh, my name is Raj Lula. I'm from Omaha, Nebraska. I co-own a graphic design and marketing studio called Fruitful Design. 
And I've been doing that for really about the last five years, though. We'll kind of dig into my, my story a little bit. I do brand strategy for them. But uh, on the personal side, I'm married, three kids that are all born within 37 months of each Whoa. other. Uh, so, yeah, so uh, about 19 months between the first two and 18 between the second and third. So uh, life can be a little crazy. So <laughs> how old is the hear- oldest? right now the oldest uh she's seven now okay and the youngest is four okay yeah that's a yeah that's yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) it it gets a little little crazy yes totally get that sweet yeah if you hear any noise in the background i severely apologize hey you know my house is always full of you know it's just joy right children are joy it's exactly yeah Yeah. dude i'm totally with that i love it or screaming one of the two (laughs) (laughs) very much so yep uh cool well um yeah, let's talk about your story then. I'd love to dig into how you got to where you are right now. Yeah. So I grew up in Omaha, Nebraska here for most of my life. My dad is from India. My mom is uh, from the States here. Uh, he's Indian, obviously, and, and she's white. And so there's kind of an interesting dynamic to my story there. I felt called to ministry when I was 16. And so I went to Bible college, uh, ended up going here in Nebraska uh, and I studied music and pastoral ministry there. Huh. Okay. After after college, I, I was just super excited to continue with a ministry that I'd helped start at at my home church called the Foundry. A bunch of friends and I had gotten together and kind of noticed the the cultural shift that was happening with what was then called postmoderns. We we eventually got promoted to millennials, I guess. <laughs> but um, just knowing that the the culture that was coming up was pretty different yeah. from from the way the church was operating and and we felt a little bit spiritually displaced in a sense. And, and that was great. It was a really fun ministry. Uh, And, but things got a little bit weird at the church and I ended up not getting hired on for that. Like I had hoped to. So I just, I started looking for ministry jobs coast to coast. I ended up in a worship pastor role in Southern California. And that was another weird church situation. And so I got fired after nine months. I actually got fired twice, what? which is a really fun story that we don't have time for. <laughs> okay. But um, it was basically, uh, I had been asked to to be dishonest about the terms of me leaving. And so they dismissed me a second time. Wow. Um, so that's always fun. But, uh, and that, that, particular firing was was right before right after the recession had started and right before i got married about six weeks before i got married wow so uh yeah started off our life on a very <laughs> uh, interesting footing i started teaching at a christian school right after that well actually about six months after that because it, it took quite a while in, in that environment to find a job and then uh, the recession caught up with them a couple of years later and i got laid off and uh, whether or not you know it, getting laid off and getting fired are two totally different things and they feel very different. <laughs> so while that was disappointing, it wasn't nearly as traumatizing as, mm. as the first experience. Uh, my wife, Lindsay, and I, we explored the idea of, of church planting and, uh, and she she had gone to California Baptist University and uh, was a intercultural studies major there, which is Christian University code word for missions. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and, and so we were, we loved the idea of reaching people who weren't reached. And, uh, and so we, uh, we approached our church after a couple of kind of rough seasons in ministry and just said, Hey, what about something fresh? What about something new? 
would you be open to, to partnering with us in that? And we identified Salt Lake City as the place that we wanted to, hmm. uh, to, to target. We had friends who were doing ministry out there, one of my mentors, and uh, thought it would be great to go support their work adjacently with a, a church plant that the people that they were reaching might have somewhere to, to worship and be a part of a, a fellowship there. Um, through yet another weird church situation, our funding dried up there, mm-hmm. and uh, but we still felt called to Salt Lake City, and and we moved away or we moved anyway, and spent about a year living and working in that community, and uh, and just loving and serving the people around us. And to be honest, it's probably my favorite year that I ever mm-hmm. got to spend in ministry, and it was under zero official title of anything. It really just felt like carrying out the mandate that, that we were given to, to live as Christians. Yeah. Um, our first daughter was born towards the end of our first uh, of that year in Salt Lake City. And about a month after she was born, we had a family medical emergency that I had to attend to uh, back here in Omaha and with my, with my parents. And uh, while we were there, my dad asked us if we would move back to Omaha and we prayed about it and felt like it was the best way to honor my dad uh, who's not a believer. He's, he's from India. He's practicing Hindu. And so uh, we moved back and kind of scrambled to, to find a job and ended up working at Nebraska Christian college, which was my alma mater. And I started in admissions. That was a terrible fit, not a great idea, but it uh, opened the door for me to do communications work there. And uh, as the, communications director, I called up one of my buddies from that original ministry that I talked about, the foundry. And I said, Hey, I'm back in Omaha. I'm in this position. I, I'm not a graphic designer, but I need a lot of graphic design work. Uh, so who do you recommend? And he, he kind of said, Oh, do you remember that Christmas card we sent out a few years ago where our whole family was illustrated? And I was like, yeah, that's great. Who was that? And I was this guy named Ben Luters. He's my business partner now. Mm-hmm. And Um, so after a a year or two working on opposite sides of the table, uh, Ben had, had mentioned several times through projects that we had worked on that he, um, that he was like, man, I wish I had a Raj for the rest of my clients because graphic designers often get asked to do copywriting, photography, marketing, et cetera. But, uh, but that's not their specialty. And as a communications director, I was doing all of those things. And so my projects would come to him much more fully formed than maybe some of his other clients. And uh, for me, I, I was comfortable doing those things and less comfortable doing some of the design that I was doing. And so it was just, it was just a great partnership. And I left the college after a couple of years. And uh, other than a stint in wedding photography that, that I did to help pay the bills kind of in that transition, uh, I've been doing brand strategy as a, a partner at Fruitful Design ever since. That's awesome. That's a well done story too, man. That was just like boom, boom, boom. <laughs> I, I'll be honest. I, I wrote it out because I was like, there's a lot of rabbit trails <laughs> yeah. in this that we could get into. Uh, and I, I need to be a little more more focused. You said I had you said I had four minutes to get through it. I think so. you nailed it, man. I think you nailed it. So that's good. No, that's awesome. Uh, can we just, I, I'd love to hear your um, coming to faith story before we sort of like sure. delve into yeah. the rest of it, if you don't mind. Yeah. So that one's probably surprisingly a little bit less interesting. Mm-hmm. It, it just in the sense that my mom uh, is a devout believer and, and she, so I, 
she likes to joke. I, I was in church from literally the first week I was born and we were not allowed to skip church as kids or anything that I wasn't particularly athletic, but we never missed church for sports or any of that, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So uh, definitely a lot of, of church in, in my spiritual formation. But I, the more interesting piece of that is that uh, I remember when I was younger, probably about five or so, like, okay, I want to get baptized. And, and my parents uh, sat me down with our, our uh, pastor, who who's a great and godly man. And, and he asked some, just some questions and took my, my mom outside and said, eh, I don't think he's quite ready yet. And that had a pretty big impact on me. Mm-hmm. And so I, I actually didn't really raise the conversation with my parents again until I was 12. Uh, even though I, I had felt the entire time that I, you know, shared the belief, but, but just was afraid of kind of being shut down again. Sure. And, uh, and, and so I waited until, uh, when I was, when I was 12, I, I just knew that I wasn't going to heaven if I didn't, you know, make this choice and, and that I had faith, but I didn't have, I didn't have everything in place. Mm-hmm. And, and so it was time to make a decision and brought it up with my parents again. And my dad, even though he is a practicing Hindu, uh, Hinduism is, is kind of interesting in how open they can be to other faiths, uh, yeah. probably considerably more open than, than we are. Mm-hmm. And so his, his biggest concern was that we know that we were making a lifetime decision and that it's not just something you pick because your friends are doing mm-hmm. it or because whatever you enjoy a particular church or anything like that. But, but because you wanted to make this choice with your whole life to follow. And uh, to be honest, that, that was a great way to begin my relationship with Christ. Mm. And uh, yeah, so that, that's kind of the, the gist of it. Yeah, no, it's cool. I, I, I wanted to know because I'm really interested because of the word that you used, which was like, you felt called to ministry. And I know, yeah. you know, you've, you know, my friend Dan, and I know there's probably been, you know, a lot that y'all have talked about that sort of like calling and what that looks like. So in <laughs> your mind, like, yeah, that's just a crazy ministry story, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, I, I don't know that I'd ever really considered seriously other career paths. I mean, like every kid, doctor, astronaut, NBA player, um, which <laughs> physically was not likely. Uh, I know your your listeners can't hear me, but I'm about 5'8". They can't see me, but I'm about 5'8". So this was never going to happen. Um, but, uh, but yeah, when I, when I got to high school, went to some summer conferences with our youth group and, and I just got the overwhelming feeling that I it's going to sound bad a little bit, but I got the feeling that I cared more about what was being talked about than my peers. Mm-hmm. I, I distinctly remember a girl in our youth group and, and her boyfriend next to her who were obviously paying more attention to each other during that sermon than to the speaker. And, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of sense of calling in my life has been sort of like somebody should do something about this. And, and then if you don't have a prevailing reason why you're not that person, then maybe you are, maybe that's a calling. And I, I will say that that has also led to some amount of heartache yeah. in my life, because even though you might be the one 
willing to do it and and energetic and passionate about something it doesn't mean that the environment that that you're trying to work in is going to support that and that comes from a number of of different places i learned through going to bible college in a small town in nebraska that you know not not every place is particularly open to having a person of color hmm. in leadership and i'm i'm not i'm not even saying that that those places were explicitly racist uh, more that when we are used to a certain type of person leading us that what feels like it fits is different and hmm. um and that can be complicated i i i actually have a fairly high regard for a number of the places that never hired me and, and those people and a lot of them live entire lives of faith, but I, I think they also sometimes just don't know what they don't know. And, uh, and that can, can have the effect of being exclusive to people who are different uh, like myself. And, and like you said, I do have kind of a, a weird <laughs> path to ministry in that sense. Uh, you, there's not a ton of us out there. I don't think who start out with, with, you know, Hindu father and end up, in Christian ministry, it's, it's a different track for sure. Yeah. Well, and then once, I mean, I guess with your story or what little I know of it, I mean, you finally get to ministry in several different contexts and like it's, it implodes, right? Like, it, I <laughs> yes. mean, yeah. how did you sort of, I mean, what is that like in your life? What do you, what are you thinking? How do you <laughs> process like this calling versus it not working like it should, or you, you think it should at least? Yeah. Um, counseling helps. Uh, <laughs> um, and, and honestly, you know, to that, to that point, that's something that, that desperately needs destigmatized in the church is that yeah. sometimes you go through stuff that you just don't know how to deal with and, and having faithful people. I, I had a Christian counselor right after that first job uh, imploded. You know, I, I was somebody who, uh, you know, from the time I was 16 and, and felt, definitely since I was in junior high, a, a sense of calling to ministry that, and then I made the sacrifice to pay for college with, you know, with my parents' help, of course, but to, to go to a small Christian college that, that absolutely narrows your potential. It's not a degree in business, you know, it's, right. not, it's not like you've got like 50 <laughs> career opportunities ahead of you. You've got about three, four right. uh, in front of you. And uh, you know, made that sacrifice four years, got through, um, and, and did well in school, not 4.0, but well enough. And, and I think there's also sort of concurrently this American theme of meritocracy. And we know for sure that in politics and in business, that meritocracy is sometimes trumped by uh, network and popularity and yeah. other sorts of things. But you would imagine that the church would be the one place where meritocracy who should be in the room right. is actually in the room. And it, in my experience, absolutely was not. Mm. Um, and so pro the disillusionment, uh, disillusionment of that was much harder than even some of the, the circumstances that we were in is because it's a bit of a dismantling of some of your, your worldview and, and the things that you expect to be true about the the world and about God and about the church. 
And so I found myself very anxious after yeah. that first thing. It did not help at all. Two things did not help. Cable news, uh, for one, <laughs> and it was a bad choice for me during that time. And then uh, also the fact that we were in the middle of the worst recession since the Great Depression. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so it really felt like, God, I did everything you wanted to, me to. And what in the world, man, this just isn't working out the way that I felt like he had promised, but he never had, Mm. you know, which I think is another piece of this equation is that, you know, sort of this American sense of meritocracy, but then also this, this thought that God had promised me something in this deal that that I hadn't. And I sort of had to get through that once before because I didn't meet my wife in Bible college. And so it was like, God, what do you want me to do? Be single in ministry? Because, you know, a lot of ladies are looking to date a pastor. Um, And so I was like, how is this ever going to work out? And then, you know, I I met my wife just before I began that job. I actually met her in California. Hmm. And uh, and so that piece worked out, thankfully. And uh, I'm I'm very grateful for that. But then just right on the heels of that, than the first ministry not working out and it's just like, what in the world? Um, and you know, one of the things that I, I had to come to grips with in that is that God allows very imperfect people to be in the church and, and even run churches. Hmm. And we, we don't have to give those people sort of carte blanche to be, authorities in our our lives Uh, that's maybe a a bad way of saying it but um you know just because somebody has the title of pastor uh doesn't make them infallible that's probably a better way of of saying it and um and so on on one hand we should expect for them to sin and to err against us and and unfortunately to do that sometimes without apology and and to do that in ways that affect our livelihood and our families in ways that are tremendously traumatic and, and damaging. And so it does, it it can take a while and some counseling or whatever. That was, that was the thing that one thing that helped me for sure to, to, to work through all that. Yeah. Yeah. That's tough stuff. I mean, I, I, I talked to a lot (laughs) of deep there. (laughs) I I think that's, I mean, that's why we're here. I, I very rarely talk to somebody in vocational ministry who has not just been like, destroyed by a church. I mean, yeah. it's just, it's yeah. the sad reality of what it is. Yeah. And I think one thing that's a little bit different about my story is, especially for my peers, you know, cause I, I know a lot of people in ministry yeah. because of, of my network uh, from Bible college and a lot of them got destroyed on the first one. It's almost like a rite of passage of sorts. Yeah. It's like, and you, and it's half because you're an idiot when you're 22 right. and it's half because people are sinful and where that meets usually ends up in some kind of nasty explosion. But most of the people that I knew who are still in ministry, that second one worked. Right. And they, whatever it took to kind of get them in a healthier place or to help them find a healthier place, uh, it, it worked out well. And for me, through both circumstance and through, uh, there's some personality stuff in there and, and giftedness and those types of things. Um, it, I, I had about an average of 18 months, uh, to two years at places. And, um, when I got to about 10 years and I'd had seven jobs, I was just like, we got to think about something else at this point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you, uh, 
you've done it longer than uh, many, you know, and even if the second one doesn't work, usually people are done after that, right? It's like, oh, ministry's <laughs> yeah. probably not for me <laughs> after two <laughs> failed attempts, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, I, you know, the funny thing is I, I had a friend ask the other day, he's like, would you go back? And, and I hesitated because I, there's part of me that still would. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But that to say, I, my views on vocational ministry have, have changed pretty tremendously because one thing that I enjoy about working in the marketplace is that my livelihood and my ability to provide for my family is no longer tied to the politics uh, and bureaucracy that can exist within the church. Yeah. And that's really healthy for me. I, <laughs> I, it's too many things wrapped in one bundle of your faith community your your um, spiritual leadership, your paycheck, and your ability to care for your family all wrapped into one thing is it's just too dangerous for me at this point in my life and and not something that unless God himself were to to m- move on me in a particular way that that I'd really be open to entertaining right now oh, interesting yeah I mean it is I, I people who have not been there don't understand that you know um, you can't even really yeah. have you can you can only have a very select few friends that you can really be honest with about where you're yeah. at, you know. Yeah. Um, Which you know to to that to that point, um, I, I've heard you talk a little bit about your enneagram number, and um, I I'm an enneagram eight, oh, okay. uh, which is probably not a great fit for most ministry situations. <laughs> I uh, which for those who are listening who aren't terribly familiar with the, the Enneagram eight is known as the challenger. Mm. Uh, and if there's anything about faith communities that they don't particularly enjoy being challenged yes, is probably right near the top. So. And, uh, you know, my first ministry, I, I did things that just felt like they were the right thing to do because I'm a person who sees problems and wants to fix them. And I don't, I don't really carry a lot of, of, emotional attachment to that. Mm. And so it's hard for me to imagine that other people would. Um, and, and what I mean by that is, is that when I walk into a situation and see a problem, I'm like, Oh, there's a problem. Let's fix it. Right. And not really realizing that, you know, so-and-so's son or daughter might've created that thing that we want to fix. And so it's a sort of a personal affront to them to do that. And to me, it's just like, look, things are right or wrong. And let's go with the thing that works and and that's right. And, and who cares who created it? Uh, Some, someday people will tear down things that I made and fix them Mm -hmm. because they are no longer, they no longer serve the purpose that they needed to. And, and I have to be okay with that too. And, uh, but that's not, most churches do not operate with that kind of mindset at all. No, not at all. But I think to that point, I think churches really need eights around to have those sorts of conversations because they're not conversations I want to have. I want everybody to like me and I'm like performing <laughs> at all times, right? But an eight can just like cuts through the the BS, right? And like it's to the Yeah, point. so so what's funny about that is that spent 10 years in in ministry and got basically no nowhere because I, I had a professor in college who, who would always say that you know when when you look at somebody who's got 20 years experience in ministry you have to ask do they really have 20 years in ministry or do they have two years of ministry 10 times hmm. and I had that I had two years of ministry five times and uh, and so I I knew that I was still probably a good 
five or 10 years away from having any level of meaningful responsibility in the church. Mm -hmm. And I kept starting over at the same bottom level. In fact, one of the reasons, uh, one of the things I would say that was uh, kind of on the camel's back at that point was uh, I got offered an unpaid internship (laughs) 10 years into (laughs) ministry because a guy... And he's very sweet. I, I know him oh, still, but it, he said, I think you just need a chance. And it's like, yeah, man, I got two kids at home. I don't think an unpaid <laughs> internship is the chance that I need right now. Oh, my gosh. Uh, <laughs> what? A, I mean, it's super gutsy to be like, well, you know what we can do? An unpaid right, internship. You know, he, he was a church planner, and those guys are always trying oh, to get something on a dime. And I get gosh. that, but man. Um, but but anyway, what's funny about, funny about my story now is that ejecting from that path. Now I serve churches in my role as a brand strategist and, and a communications strategist that I, I serve several churches a week and end up in executive meeting teams and those types of things where they actually do listen to my eightness. Right. Um, and they, they listen to my challenge and strategy and those types of things. And, and I think honestly, part of it is because they can get it in small enough doses that they can actually act on it. Right. And, and it doesn't feel negative. It feels uh, either corrective or even prescriptive. Mm-hmm. And so they can, they can deal with it. And that, and I think that even in those places that I currently serve, if I were to come on full time at those places, I would want to make such great change even still that it, it would be too much. And that it really needs, one of the things that I love about my, my business partner is that he's, he's an Enneagram seven, very positive, enthusiastic about everything. And so the we're we're just totally the yin to each other's yeah. Yang y'all are power couple right there. <laughs> it's yeah, it's wonderful. Totally. <laughs> um, so he he can help people feel good and positive as I'm also recommending changes to them that they need to make for the life and health of their organizations. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. I uh, yeah, I love that. I love a little Enneagram talk, man. It just like, yeah, <laughs> it, un- it unpacks so much stuff so quickly, you know? I, I thought it was witchcraft for a little uh, while, yeah. but, uh, you know, yeah. but I've gotten over that. And, uh, it, it does actually explain some things about, about me for sure. Yeah, I'm with that. Um, okay. So then, I mean, you have this call to, to ministry, which you see is like full-time vocational sort of, how yeah. have you... Th- thought through that now being, you know, somebody who runs a, runs a business now, as opposed to like, you know, vocationally doing ministry. Yeah. So I think one of the things that, that happened to me as I transitioned out of that world was that I had the chance to reevaluate my story hmm. and it's easy for me to look at my story and say, Hey, son of a Hindu father with family still in India, uh, and you know access to a community who largely does not know Christ and and have a burden for ministry and for the world raised in the church felt called to ministry at 16 all of that it's easy to, to read that story mm-hmm. <clears throat> but another piece of my story is that my parents they never gave us allowance when we were kids and uh, instead uh, they they felt like hey your job is to be a student when when you're a kid and to learn and learn. And so the only thing I could do wasn't mowing the lawn or doing the dishes. My parents felt like some of those things were just part of being a part of a family. Mm -hmm. And the only thing I could do to earn any extra money was that my dad would let me write for him. Ah. And, 
you know, I think it was a, a quarter a page when maybe, uh, you know, went on strike and got a dollar a page after that. <laughs> Smart. I, I can't remember, but, uh, uh, you know, it, he would let us write about anything for me. It was Chicago bulls games, that kind of stuff. I'm a total nineties kid. And, uh, love it. And, uh, you know, and so there's that. And then I was on the, the high school newspaper, uh, and, and you know, the funny thing is that t- it, the agreement that I made with the journalism teacher to be on the staff, cause I didn't take the, the prereq course that was needed for it was that I had to be the ad manager as well. Hmm. And <laughs> that was like the closest thing to picturing my future career as I could possibly get <laughs> is dealing with clients, helping them find out what they want on their advertisements, helping them word it, helping them design it. And, uh, I ended up winning awards for this. I didn't even know there were awards wow. for this. And, um, ended up uh, winning the state level award, which I only tell that story. It's not to brag at all because it's a high school accomplishment. Who cares? <laughs> but the thing that I love about it is that the same governing body who does that um, also does the athletic competitions. Mm-hmm. And so I got the same gold medal as the uh, wrestlers and the football players who, you know, spent every day in the weight room, or whatever. <laughs> and it's like, I'm coming up with nerdy little. Uh, advertisement designs mm-hmm. and until you flip the medal over and see what it was for it looks the exact same <laughs> as, the, as the football football champs medal so uh, it's awesome um, so there's those things and then also in college you know you probably know in in ministry um it's kind of all hands on deck and so i learned photoshop and i learned how to make websites and if you're the youngest guy in staff a lot of times <laughs> that same. Stuff I, that's why i you. know how to build websites and do graphics yeah exactly yeah, yeah. And, and so there's just a lot of self-taught skills in yeah. there. Another piece of this story is that my dad took me to India when I was five and my sisters had gotten to go when they were uh, just a little bit, uh, just a couple of years prior to that. And I hadn't been, uh, cause I wasn't born yet. And, uh, and so I uh, got to go with him by myself and take the family camera with me. And so my first experience in photography was, in a foreign country and getting to document that. Mm -hmm. And I was five. And so my memories would be definitely a lot fuzzier than they are, except except for this treasure trove of pictures Mm -hmm. that I have. Wow. And so that started a love of photography that lasted my entire life. Mm -hmm. The first thing I bought myself when I graduated from Bible college, my own graduation gifts to myself was a digital camera. And so, you know, you put all those pieces together, writing and uh, advertising design, client management and photography and websites and, and that's a pretty good amalgamation of, of what I do now. Right. It just never really occurred to me that you can get paid for that as a full-time job. <laughs> um, and so part of me, sometimes, you know, we all kind of sit down and wonder like, oh, what if, and part of me almost feels like ministry was the, the thing that was a little bit forced or hmm. was a, a bit of a derivation of a path for me we can't rewrite that story because I wouldn't have met my wife, you know, were it not for the, that path and and the things I care about, I wouldn't have learned some of those skills were it not for trying to stand up websites for ministries and those types of things. And, um, and, and I definitely wouldn't be the person that I am for better or for worse. Um, had I not, not gone through that path. So it's, it's tough that you do have to kind of reorient yourself to what story am I really in? And it helps to have some of those signposts along the way. Like, okay, well, maybe God was doing a different thing as well in in that time. And instead of just getting down in the dumps and saying, 
you know, oh, that was the only thing that I had. And and I, I don't get me wrong. I spent some time there. But once you get out of that, it's like, well, in my 30s, I got a lot of time left to kind of figure out <laughs> something to do. And yeah. and getting to put those pieces together and do creative work for a living is is such an incredible blessing. Yeah. And I'm thankful for all of the people who have invested me along the way and uh, and that I get to do this for a living now. That's awesome, man. God's so funny. It's like all these like skills, you know, just like sitting (laughs) there. Oh, I can make a whole job and not only a job, but like run a business and like have this impact, you know, with this um, stuff. I never. Yeah, it's funny how um, a lot of the things, even honestly, money, it's it's kind of a dirty word in the church. But but I've loved to make money since I was a kid. And, and I don't mean that in a, you know, Scrooge McDuck, you know, jumping a pile of, of money. <laughs> oh, you don't uh, have that you know. room in your house? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <Okay. laughs> I'm too much of a germaphobe to do that anyway. Yeah, that's a good call. Well, every time I just think, oh, you sanitize yourself after that, man. But um, no, you know, it's like, but I, but I have enjoyed taking little and turning it to much. I, I've enjoyed working hard and getting a paycheck afterwards. And, and one thing that bothered me about nonprofit work is that it, in a lot of ways, it does not matter how well you do. Like if you baptize a hundred more people in a year, it's not like you get a raise and be kind of sick if you did, you know, that that causes a lot of problems. But for me, I like grades. I like scorecards. I like, and, and money is, can, can be a version of a scorecard of like, is, are things going well? And especially absent, you know, positive feedback, which can be hard to come by in the church yeah. as well. Um, then, then sometimes it can be, you can go months or, or years without someone telling you you're doing a good job. And since you don't also have pay bonuses or those types of things to confirm that you're doing well. And, and in America, we get such a sense of identity from work, then it can be, it can be isolating and, and uh, kind of deflating. Mm-hmm. It's like, no wonder that so many people burn out in ministry. So I, you know, that, that piece of it too, I, it, it puts together some things that didn't quite fit or make sense in ministry that, that do now. And, and I get to be generous now. Yeah. That's one of my favorite things. Like we don't live, you know, you can see the messy house behind me. <laughs> um, you know, we don't live high on the hog. We, we live reasonable lives, drive used Hyundais and, and we try to be generous with our time and our, mm. and our money as well. I love that. I love that a lot. That's so insightful. I, uh, yeah, I appreciate that for sure. Uh, so let's talk branding and marketing and all this stuff. Tell me about the, yeah. I love the website, by the way, the Thank like, intro illustration and stuff is so legit. Uh, yeah, it's good stuff. So. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, the, the shortest name for what I do is brand strategy, um, which, you know, as I mentioned before, people will come to graphic designers and, and uh, Fruitful used to be a purely graphic design studio, mm-hmm. which, which people would come and say, hey, I've got money. I want to do a website. I want you to do it. Let's go. And of course, you know, designers are like, yes, absolutely. Let's go. Right. And, uh, and then the client will turn around and say, okay, great. What should my website say? <laughs> and the designer's like, I don't know, man. I know. It doesn't say copywriter. It doesn't copy say marketing. So much. Oh my gosh. That's the worst. I'm like, this is yeah. for you to figure out, not me, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which is funny because I I can't imagine not being in control of copy. Mm, interesting. Because I you know, it words matter so much mm. to me that 
Um, I, you know, I will help clients get down from five words to four. And it's actually a real big victory because it's, if you're that much clearer and that much more concise, and that much more memorable, then you have a better chance of standing out in the market and practically every market yeah. is crowded right now. Right. And, uh, and so what I do is I, I help clients on that front end of mm -hmm. things where, uh, I help them through discovery. Like, who are you? Where have you been? What have you come from? And what are you trying to accomplish? And then helping them turn that largely into words. That's I spend quite a bit of time there, whether it's taglines or I, lo I love to help name businesses as well. That's cool. Uh, which that's another thing for me that I love to do. But it's also amazing to me that anybody wouldn't, um, you know, wouldn't want to do that by themselves. And right. uh, but the thing is, most people aren't gifted at yeah. it. And it's a skill. Yet another thing that yeah. just kind of through this process, God has revealed to mm. to me that. It's like, hey, I gave you this gift to use for people. And and so I love, I absolutely love that I, I get to do these things for a living. And yeah, so, yeah, cool. brand strategy is, is really about helping people figure out what, what are the next steps for their brand, whether they're just starting and they need a name and a website and those things, or whether a lot of clients do come in some kind of a crisis moment or a pseudo crisis where... Uh, maybe attendance has flattened at the church, or maybe sales have have kind of flattened or declined. And and a lot, for a lot of people, it sounds sort of like the question of like, uh, oh, hey, what do we sh what should we do on social media? And then you get to their social media, and it's predictably not not going well. But then you go to their website, and the website is also not good. And right. it's like, well, guys, I hope you understand that doing well on social media is to try, try to drive people to your <laughs> website. And, and so even if I, I create a great strategy for you on social media, it'd be a drawing attention to something you do not want attention on right now. So let's, you kind of have to start with the building blocks, blocks of brand, which are logo and website and a clear sense of who you are and how to communicate mm -hmm. that. And for a lot of of our clients after we help them with that, the social media kind of takes care of itself right. because they can speak clearly with a voice that they understand. And all you have to do is keep doing it for the most part until you come to a point again where you need to either level up or, uh, or retool because culture changes constantly and, and you need to find a new way to express yeah. yourself. Hmm. That's cool. What, so what pro sort of projects like, do you, like kind of give you life and all, all of that, you know, do you have, cause you talked about having some stuff like, you know, on the back burner or stuff coming out and, and some of that? Yeah, sure. So I just finished a, a draft, a first draft of a novel that I've been working on for the last three years. And, oh, really? Um, yeah. Oh, sweet. Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of a funny thing too, where I feel like my ability to do that has been rooted in the muscles that have been trained in me hmm. of helping or working through the creative process over and over and over again, whether that be in wedding photography or in, uh, in, in graphic design. And I, I heard you and JJ talking about uh, writing a book and you mentioned it's like all of my friends who do that seem pretty miserable. So I don't know that I really want to do that. And it's absolutely true. <laughs> okay, I feel better. <laughs> so I, I will confirm that for you. Um, because no, it's, it's the same as any other creative process that you have to be willing to submit to it and put the work in. Mm. And, you know, when I was in wedding photography, people would, would come up to me all the time and, uh, and say, Oh, it must be nice to take pictures all the time. And it's like, yeah, that would be nice. I don't know anybody who has that job though, because <laughs> right. my job is meeting with brides, doing consultations, 
taking photos for a little bit, doing editing, right. editing, 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 um, and then and doing bookkeeping, doing my own taxes. Yeah. You know, it's like taking photos is about 10% of my job. And so if you know of a job that's all taking photos, let me know because I would love <laughs> to apply for it. Um, and kind of similarly in writing, it's, uh, you know, a lot of late nights, um, you know, probably more taxing for my own body than it's probably good for. But, um, you know, yeah, a, a lot of late nights, a lot of, of work, a lot of just getting in the chair to, to do it. And yeah, it's, it's an intense process, but I love the story that I'm working on. Um, I, I can't tell a ton about it, but, um, it's basically, uh, I, I I learned about this place that does a grief counseling for children. It's based off of a real place in Salt mm. Lake City, and they uh, it, I, I heard a, a story about it on This American Life, and and I just had this thought of like, what if a young boy and a young girl met there, ended up falling in love later on, and then um, and the, and then got married and. Uh, as as difficult as marriage is by itself, mm. what uh, you know, what would it be like? Could you survive marriage if you constantly had the question hanging over your head of Will either of us get the same disease that my parents have? Interesting, uh, is, especially because this place they they deal with unfortunately a lot of of uh, kids who lose someone to suicide, mm. and so. You know, so, so we're, we're not even just talking about, you know, cancer and those types of things. So certainly they, they help kids through that stuff. But, uh, you know, it's like, could, could, you, could, could a marriage survive um, sort of the suspicion that sort of hangs over your head of is today the other day that the other person starts going downhill? And so that was such an interesting concept to me. And, and I just sat down and started writing one day and, you know, a thousand words turned into five thousand words and it turned into ten. I will I will say about five thousand is where it started to feel like work. Sure. And then but I knew I be I had become passionate about the story at that hmm. point, really fallen in love with it. And uh and so from then it was just stealing moments. My wife was so generous to me in yeah. letting me escape on Sunday afternoons and go to Barnes Noble or Starbucks and just hammer away on my hmm. keyboard for hour and a half hour i'm probably i'm sure i'm a better person after i I, i'm done writing that stuff (laughs) because uh it's weird it's like the characters live in your head and and you know it's people will compare creative process to birth and it does kind of feel like you just have to get something out and uh, because otherwise it will just continue to kind of grow inside Mm. of you until you know you freak out (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome uh that's really exciting Um, you'll have to, you know, let me know when all that's like going down and getting, you know, published and all that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'd love to uh, check that out. Sweet. Uh, okay. So what else you got going? Yeah. So I, right now it's, it's mostly, uh, just that and fruitful and family life. Um, fruitful is, it's such a fun experience because, um, I actually do get to use some of my ministry skills mm. in what I do. I was doing some branding for a friend of mine in, in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, late last year. And he, uh, we got all done with it. And he'd known me from my ministry days. And uh, he, he has some names. He had his, some names for his business that I think he'll admit were not great. And, um, you know, some bad acronyms and those types of things, which, <laughs> which are 
for anybody who's listening don't do that um <laughs> that's great just, advice though. if if you're trying to make a cutesy acronym out of your your name uh it better be really good <laughs> or it's just it's the wrong choice um and and so we got through the process and you kind of have to be gentle with people because they they get attached to their own ideas sure. uh, as we yeah, all do yeah. i mean i i get attached to my own ideas too if somebody told me my book sucked i'd be very sad <laughs> and um and so you have to be gentle with them, but you also have to lead them in a certain direction. And, and of course, just like, uh, just like a real counseling environment, it's better when they kind of come to these realizations them, themselves. Sure. And so, so we get done through the process. We have some great names on the burner and, and he goes, you just did pastoral counseling on me, didn't you? And, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, a little, a little bit. bit. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's been fun cool. to, to do those, but now fruitful is getting to work with, some uh companies that are are well known in our region and uh first national bank is is one of them and um they are i think the largest independently owned bank in the country um yeah that's that's not you know one of the big you know chase or uh, any of those things and um and so it's it's cool to be in those rooms now and uh, i mean stuff that i don't don't think i ever even imagined i certainly i didn't even know to hope for it Hmm. But now, now that we're doing it, it, it feels like dreams coming true. And, uh, and so getting to do those things is, is, it's really incredible. And we also get to work with some amazing nonprofits right now. We're, we're working with some great people at, at a place called Abide that help revitalize the inner city. They, they take uh, distressed properties in, in the inner city and they revamp them and then they put a family in there that they call a lighthouse family or lighthouse leaders. And, and those people uh, just influence the neighborhood, just, partly just by their presence, mm-hmm. but also by the way that they, they care for the people around them. And the, it's actually helping raise property values in wow. their community. And people are staying longer, less turnover. And the most impressive thing is that around these lighthouses, there's about a 75% decrease in crime. Wow. Yeah. And it's not like these guys are going around with a nightstick and a flashlight or anything like that. It's just beautiful Christian loving presence Uh. that is helping change these neighborhoods. And uh, we led them through a rebrand last year and uh, helping them really clarify their messaging and everything. And uh, it's, it's amazing getting to kind of work on both ends of the pure ministry kind of stuff, but then also to get to be in rooms and, and sort of be, um, you know, just be ourselves mm, among right. people who, uh, who don't necessarily share the same values. I, I loved what you're talking about in your, your 50th, uh, episode where you, you're, you said that, you know, originally you thought who, who's doing evangelism through their workplace and who's doing, you know, ministry right. kind of narrowly defined through their, their workplace. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't work like that. Sometimes it's not appropriate, um, to, to be doing, but, just being people who do business honestly. Right. I, it's amazing what a standout that is. Um, servant leadership. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. We, we have this concept at Fruitful, I call it, we carry the water for the client. And so, and that, and that can be as simple as uh, one of the statistics that I hate the most in business is that it takes on average eight emails to schedule a meeting. Oh, man. And so if we can cut that down to four or two even, then I consider it a huge win for us. And, and, a lot of that comes from this is total free business advice to your to your, your listeners, but um, 
the thing is that when you're trying to schedule a meeting, you have 50% of the information that's needed to schedule this meeting. So instead of saying, hey, we should meet. When, when do you like to meet? If you say, hey, we should meet. I'm available Tuesday at 2, Wednesday at 10, Thursday at, at 4. What, uh, it, which one of those works for you? And if not, tell me a time that works for you and I'll see if I can make right. it work. That, that immediately cuts the number of emails that you send in half mm-hmm. uh, because you're offering them 50% of the information to start with instead of, it, it's like the other way you're making them play a game with yeah. you. It's like, uh, it's like, we need to meet. When would you like to meet? Oh no, sorry. Thursdays do not work for <laughs> I'm me. I'm super busy. And it's like, <laughs> it's, it's like you're the troll under the bridge, you know? And it's like, try again, you know? <laughs> it's like, no, I know when my, I know my schedule so I can give you windows. Do any of those work for you? And, uh, and so not only do we do things like that, but we also, I, I have my team try to race to be the one to, to send the calendar and invite out first, because if we can serve as their admin, as their secretary for five seconds, and it makes them think, have to think a little less hard about that, enjoy the process a little bit more, um, you know, have, God forbid, even have fun in business, you know, then, um, then then it's just our way of serving them and, and helping them have a better experience. And it doesn't really cost us anything. Yeah. It, it It's just about a position of humility and in, in our relationship saying, we're here to serve you. And that's something that I learned in part through ministry. Also in, in wedding photography, you would not believe the number of photographers who think they're God's gift <laughs> to everything. Uh, and, uh, but we always had the opinion of like, hey, we we literally work for you on your wedding day. So if you need a glass of water, if you need us to carry the back of your dress, if you need us to, uh, you know, fan you so you're not too sweaty during it, whatever yeah. you need, like we work for you on this day. I I have dealt with so many caterers and DJs and everything. It's not my job to do it, but it's my job to serve the couple right. and my position as a believer in the environment to just try to serve people, make their lives better by my presence uh, and to show them Christ through that. And, you know, so I don't have any amazing stories of somebody seeing those things and be like, oh my gosh, you know, I need Jesus because you got me a water at my wedding, but uh, just getting to be a link in that chain and, and to, to hopefully every day be putting the image of Christ out in front of people in how we operate in business um, is, is is something that I love that we get to do. Amen. Amen. That's, that's what it is right there, man. You nailed it. So it's good stuff. I love that. Love that. Well, are you uh, ready to jump into our uh, last two questions here? Does that work? Yeah. I've been thinking about that. Oh, sweet. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. So my first question is uh, what is the strangest job that you have ever had? This is the one I thought the most about because there were literally four contenders for it. But (laughs) I I think I'm going to go with my very first job was I was chain gang for my middle school football team. (laughs) And um, you can see me. So, you know, I'm more or less built like a football player, but uh, I had no interest. I, I, I actually remember the day that I learned that I had no interest in playing football is that my buddy Johnny was uh he was coming off the field and his hand was bleeding and i said dude what happened to you he goes and he looked down and he goes oh i don't know <laughs> I go, oh yeah that's not for me at all <laughs> and uh one of the coaches uh, approached and he said hey 
I think it was $75. He said, I'll give you $75 if you run the chains. Uh, for those of you who don't know, chain gang is the, the dudes who sign on, stand on the side of the football field with those orange sticks that tell you if they've gone 10 yards or not. That's basically what chain gang is. Uh, $75 if you show up to all 13 games and run the chains for us. And uh, when you're in middle school, $75 sounds like the <laughs> most amount of money that you have. It's like, so I'll be a millionaire this time right. next year. Pretty yes. much. And I think I, I want to say I did that for two seasons and uh, it was, it was fun. It's pretty out of character for everything else I've ever done in my life. But although I will say that, you know, in the spirit of, of hustle, that was my first experience in hustle. It's like, wait, you will pay me to do a thing. Yeah, let's, let's do it. I'll figure out how to do this. <laughs> I have no idea what chain gang is, but we, we will figure it out, man. I feel like I would get caught not paying attention a lot in a job like that, you know? So, uh, it doesn't happen as much as you okay. think because you have to pay a lot of attention to not get run uh, into. Sure, yeah. That and so you don't have a lot of opportunity to daydream because <laughs> otherwise, you know, I don't know how big a middle school football player is, but it seems like they're 300 right. pounds coming at right. you. So uh, it's especially the helmet and, yeah. and stuff. And uh, so you got you got to keep your head on a swivel. Dude, good work. Hustling from middle school. I love it. I love it. Um, okay. So finally then, what is one piece of advice you would give to somebody looking to bring the kingdom more into their work? Yeah. Um, other than the the one that I just offered of, of being a servant leader, I mean, it really, Christians have such an advantage in the marketplace by being servant leaders because it's just built into our faith and mm it is unbelievable how much it is not practiced. Yeah, that's good. I, I think you could boil almost every leadership book uh, down to basically servant leadership. I mean, Simon Sinek's book, Leaders Eat Last. And it's like, yeah, no crap, man. <laughs> like, I don't know if I'm allowed to say crap. You're good, but, you're good. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's just like, oh, is that, do people not know that? And um, it just, there's some stuff that that just by virtue of being a Christian um, you know, so I guess I'll probably just reiterate that, that one piece is, is that having a posture of humility and, and being a servant leader, I think is one of the best ways to show your faith to other people. And I, you know, I, I guess another thing that, that I would say that is similar, but a little bit different from the, the track that I just took is not expecting the world to be like you or to conform to your tastes. I, I do not get twitchy in environments where, where people swear in front right. of me, even though I used to be a pastor for 10 years and um, you know, or where they, they talk about their, their living situations or, or romantic situations or whatever, because um, I, I expect people who do not have a relationship with Christ to live like yeah. they don't have a relationship with Christ. And, you know, that, that ministry that I talked about, my very first um, ministry that, that I helped start was called the foundry. That's, that was the entire ethos of the thing was that, um, you know, back, back then there was a movie called eternal sunshine on the oh, spot. Yeah. Mine. I love it. Yeah. Uh, it's a movie yeah. about people who, um, there's there's this technology that that gets developed where you can erase your bad memories mm -hmm. and and so if you have a bad breakup you can just erase that person out of your memories out of your life and uh and you know here's here's a movie yeah it's got the f word in it uh, quite a few times actually and uh and and it's got some content but 
it's a movie about people grappling with their past and their mistakes. And if, if we get so hung up on the content or the things that we find objectionable and we miss an opportunity to talk about uh, how we contend with those mistakes. Uh, Because guess what? People who are in romantic relationships that you don't approve of, of, they're still going to have the same kinds of problems that people inside the church have in their relationships. And eventually, if you're a good friend to them, if you are a servant to them, you might be in a position to give them any kind of life advice mm. because everybody runs it. Being in relationships is a hard word, whether you're a Christian or mm. not. And, uh, or being in business is hard, whether you're a Christian or not. And so you, if you are, are humble enough to, to allow other people to be who they are, um, not, not endorsing things that, that you shouldn't not, um, uh, not participating in things that you shouldn't, but, but just allowing them to be who they are and loving them where they are, truly loving them where they are. You know, churches are so great at, at oh, we, everyone is welcome here. And it's like, yeah, but they got to get there <laughs> right. first, you know? Um, yeah. and, and there's a lot of barriers to mm-hmm. that. And, and that's why, you know, being on mission and being, being out in the marketplace is, is so wonderful and so valuable is that, is that you actually get to go show people in front of them that, I I can love you and and support you and appreciate you and disagree with you even at all at the same time because because that's the way Jesus would would operate yeah. in these situations. Um I think those those couple of things that like I said are so related of of being humble and and being a servant leader um for me those have been been the best ways to to show my faith in the marketplace and I will I be the first one to admit that I don't have a million evangelistic conversations a week, but I, I hope that through people knowing we're not shy about the fact that we work with church clients, um, that we have a faith background of our own, but I also, like I said, I don't get twitchy when people drop an F word in front of me and it's, it's who you are. And, um, I won't, I will also won't pretend that I've never accidentally said some words <laughs> or purposefully said some words either. Yes. So, yep. which helps, yep. totally helps me, <laughs> not pretend that I'm something that I'm that's, not. We need more of that. <laughs> Dude, that's awesome. Thanks for that advice. It was such a pleasure getting to hear your story and chat, man. Was, uh, yeah. I yeah. Thank it. you. Yeah. I've, I've become a fan of the podcast in, in a very short time. So it's, it's been nice to be well, on. Thanks. Uh, I really, I really appreciate that. So, well, cool. Well, we'll see you on Instagram or something, you know, yeah, if if uh, people need any help with with uh, the branding yeah. stuff, whether it's standing up a website, getting a logo, naming your business, basically anything you can see, we do. Uh, and fruitful dot design is our website. I love it, uh, and that that's cool. And then the news about the novel on my mailing list will be at rajlula.com r-a-j-l-u-l-l-a.com. There we go. I love it. Well, thanks again, man. It was it was great chatting. Yeah, thanks. You too. Well, I hope you enjoyed hearing from Raj. Just looking back at this episode, it is so cool to watch this journey. You just never know what God has for you. And I think uh, it's easy for us sometimes to just get frustrated in sort of the midst of, of life and wonder what God is doing. Yet you can see from an episode like this, from a story like this, that God had something the entire time that he was working on. Raj had no idea. And I think that should be encouragement to all of us out there that God is building into us right now stuff that we can't even imagine 
imagine uh, will be useful in the future. So be encouraged. Go be encouraged this week uh, to go do do your work in a way that uh, is is looking at every moment as as possibly something that will be used someday. So, uh, yeah, uh, I'm just going to remind you to pop on and leave me that rating and review. I would greatly appreciate it. And until next time, get out there and hustle. <laughs>